0: You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell-Shaw, rock and roll drummer and chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle.
1: Hello, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there.
0: Today is January 21st, 2024, and this is episode 261 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we'll listen to a conversation about one of the oldest light stations on the main coast, Baker Island. First... I hate to bring this up, but we need to discuss something that's happened in the past few days or really the past week. We're actually speaking on January 16th. Last week, there were two – actually, there were three big storms last week. The first one uh, brought about a foot or or so of snow uh, here in New Hampshire then there were two more storms after that that had a big effect on the coasts of New Hampshire and Maine. So far, we know of more than a dozen. In fact, I think it's at least 15 lighthouses in Maine that were damaged by the storms. And in Newcastle, New Hampshire, near where you and I live, uh, Michelle, uh, Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse was severely damaged. The lighthouse is on Coast Guard Station Portsmouth Harbor. And our local group, Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation, has been working to preserve it and to give tours since 2001. I believe we've given tours for more than 20,000 people in that time. Michelle, you're the chairperson of the group, and you were, I believe, the first person to get there on Saturday after the worst high tide and that, that last storm. Can you describe what you found when you got there?
1: Sure, Jeremy. Well, you know, as I said, I got um, a text from the Coast Guard with a video showing the waves crashing up over um, the base of the lighthouse, and the Coast Guard had relayed the information that there was some pretty significant damage to the base, and I happened to be in the area, so they let me go down and check it out when I got there. I was just, I had everything I could do not to cry seeing the damage to the base of the lighthouse, you know, the concrete, Of the lighthouse, just broken up, and the timber that was, you know, around the frame of the base was just that was just strewn up on top of the base, and I didn't see the damage to the oil house that day because when I got there, the tide was still pretty high and the waves were still coming up over where once there was a a seawall, which was part of the fort closer towards the coast guard station, that was demolished and waves were still coming up over that so yep. i couldn't get too far down to see the damage to the oil house but i did you know get some photos of the damage to the base and
0: yeah it's pretty incredible i was at, i was there after the first storm you know in between the two storms i was there like the day after the the first storm last week and when i got there you couldn't walk over anywhere near the lighthouse and keeper's house because it was so badly flooded um, and as you said, the, the wall had been knocked down there, the seawall and that the water would have been pouring over that anyway, but that made it even worse, more water right. coming in. Um, so I was, I didn't see any damage when I was there after that first storm, but things looked horrible. I mean, rocks everywhere. The whole, the, a lot of the Coast Guard station was flooded. There were rocks all over the station. Right. Uh, I've been involved with the lighthouse since 2001 and I have never seen anything close to this. It's now, That's now the fourth. We've had four major floods in three years, and in the 20 years prior to that, I hadn't seen anything close, so it's been pretty bad. So as you said, the, yeah, the base of the lighthouse is a mess, uh, and uh, a lot of the concrete was added to the top of that base in 1998, but underneath that is the old 1804 base, the base of the 1804 lighthouse. Uh, and that is that's so that stood for over that's been there for over 200 years and right. had never sustained damage anywhere close to this. So it's just amazing what these uh, what these storms are doing lately. Yeah. But uh, and as you said, the oil house also is badly damaged. There's a big chunk out of one part of it, the lower uh, corner and then uh, near the along near the roof. There's a lot of bricks missing. So uh, support for the roof is not not good at this point. At The floor, a lot of the floor is gone, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we also know that there has been damage to at least a dozen, but I think it's probably quite a bit more than that, main lighthouses in these storms lately. Uh, We're trying to assess all the damage. I'm actually working on like an inventory of the damage, and I hope to do a Zoom event to talk about all this stuff uh possibly uh maybe a few weeks from now so people should watch for that but there's been a lot of damage i won't start going into it right now but we're again we're still assessing all that and we're still assessing what we're going to do at portsmouth harbor light moving forward right yeah
1: people will notice if you live in the area um if you go by you know happen to see the lighthouse the light is not working right now as power lines were severed during the storm so the lantern is not Working at this time.
0: Yes, yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, there is no navigational light there for now. That familiar green light, yes, uh, isn't isn't happening. But the Coast Guard, you know, before repairs can be made, I wouldn't be surprised if the Coast Guard put some kind of temporary light there. I'm not sure how they'll do it, but for now, there's there's no light, which is a weird thing in itself. Because if you're around there at night, that that green light is such a familiar sight. Right. Yeah. So we could talk about that for a long time, and I'm and you and I, Michelle, will be talking about it a lot. I'm sure. But for now, I think we should uh, move along and uh, get to our interview in today's podcast. So can you please help me out, Michelle, and tell everybody about Baker Island and our guest?
1: Sure, Jeremy. Baker Island in Maine is about four miles southeast of the much larger Mount Desert Island. Baker is one of the five islands that make up the Cranberry Isles. A lighthouse was established on the highest point of the island in 1828.
0: The early history of the light station is very much tied into the history of the family of William and Hannah Gilley. The Gilley's had taken possession of the island in the early 1800s and William Gilley was appointed uh, as the island's first lighthouse keeper at $350 per year.
1: The first lighthouse tower wasn't well built and it was replaced in 1855 by the 43 foot tall cylindrical brick tower that still stands today. After many years of keepers and families living in the light station dwelling, The house has been unoccupied since the light was automated in 1957.
0: Baker Island Light Station is now owned by the National Park Service as part of Acadia National Park, while the Coast Guard maintains the navigational light. There are Acadia National Park ranger-led tours of the island from Bar Harbor in the summer.
1: Keepers of Baker Island is a nonprofit that was formed to support the National Park Service with the care and upkeep of the island's natural and cultural landscape. Our guest today, Cornelia Cesari, is an island resident and the President of the Board of Directors of Keepers of Baker Island.
0: Cornelia is also the author of the book, Baker Island, released in 2018 by Arcadia Publishing. It was my pleasure to speak with her a couple of weeks ago, so let's listen to that conversation now. I am speaking today with Cornelia Cesari, who is the President of the Keepers of Baker Island. Thank you so much for being with me today, Cornelia.
2: Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you're, you're so welcome. Obviously, we're going to talk about Baker Island and the light station. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about your personal background. Can you tell me about your personal connection to Baker Island?
2: Yes. So I come to this not necessarily as a specifically a lighthouse aficionado, but a fan of all things Baker Island. Most of the island is owned by Acadia National Park, but there are two private residences, privately owned buildings, and my family owns one of them, um, the little schoolhouse. So I grew up going to Baker Island and brought my kids out to Baker Island. And so we've always, um, it's just, it's one of the very most special places in the world. In studying the history of it, the, the lighthouse piece followed, and I've been learning more and more
0: Sure. And you're spending the summers out there these days? Is that right?
2: Um, No, we, you know, we live in Vermont uh, the rest of the year. So we try and get out there several times a summer for maybe a week at a time. We often aim to spend time in every month out there. But Mm -hmm. um, it's a it's a challenging place to be.
0: Yeah, yeah, not always so easy to get, get it on and off anytime you, you want to, I'm sure. That, uh, and
2: also there's no potable water on the island. You know, obviously no electricity, no phone, no, we do have cell service, which is interesting, but, um, you know, it's just a complicated <laughs> place. Yeah,
0: be. for being pretty close to civilization, you know, the Acadia National Park uh, area, yeah, it is uh, kind of off the, the beaten track. Yeah. You know. Civilization wise. Yeah, um, I mean,
2: there's no dock, you know, so getting out there involves mooring and then rowing a skiff into the sort of harbor. It's not really very um sheltered. So, yeah. you know, just even getting supplies on and off is sometimes yeah. difficult.
0: Yeah. I was just talking to my wife, Charlotte, a couple of days ago about this, and she she remembers very well. That's t- first time we visited Baker Island. I'm thinking was 2001. I know it's more than twenty years ago. I was looking at my photographs, and I they were thirty five millimeter photographs, you know, pre digital, and I scanned them in two thousand four, but I think it was actually two thousand one when we went there, and it was very memorable. So, uh, you know, she she remembers it well, uh, and I have been there one more time in the years uh, mm-hmm. since, but it's been a few years, so I need to get back. I, I've really I really enjoyed my two tours out there very much. So let's talk about your organization, Keepers of Baker Island. When and why was it formed?
2: Well, we've always done work out there just as residents. We increased our volunteer efforts out there. And then in conversation with the park, it's it's been 20 years, they suggested that we set up a 501c3 and become official for funding purposes and just to formalize our our agreement and our work. So we basically did did it on their say-so.
0: So what besides raising funds for the island what are some of the things your organization does two part question are there volunteers who do uh, things on the island and if so what we do are,
2: We are we are all volunteer and mm-hmm. we're tiny and we don't we we haven't to date uh, really stepped up fundraising efforts primarily what we do is maintenance so mowing the fields is the big one which my husband does primarily and um Uh, clearing and we had a well we'll talk more about later we had a big effort to clear the spruce which are growing up all over the island so primarily we do mowing we coordinate volunteers we do a big uh, shoreline trash cleanup because that's Mm -hmm. always an issue but we're also just standing by because uh, when there's storm damage were there and occasionally for an accident. We actually helped airlift an injured visitor off the island one time. So we're here to collaborate with other groups. We had a local historical society. Um, we worked with them and did a big cemetery cemetery restoration.
0: Good, yeah. So let's talk about the light station. Um, the last time I was there uh, was, I think more than 10 years ago now, and the buildings were in rough shape at that time. For people who don't know, there's the brick lighthouse tower there's a keeper's house separate keeper's house and an oil house am i forgetting something or is there any, any other buildings that are part of the um, light station there's in in
2: 1942 we think the coast guard built a um garage slash barn so that's mm-hmm. there it's not part of the historical um light like compound but those are the only buildings that remain that are historical well there's also another um house on the island which was one of the original settler houses the gilly house which is owned by the park as well
0: Mm -hmm. okay yeah i want to talk about the gillies in a few minutes but at this point what kind of condition are the light station buildings in
2: not good very Mm -hmm. very tough shape it was actually in july of 2022 uh tim harrison placed it on the lighthouse digest doomsday list Mm -hmm. i know I'm sure you know Tim, who was sure. such a wonderful man. And he he had a scathing review. He said, we have to wonder how they can expect to take care of the Bass Harbor Head Lighthouse when they can't properly care for Baker Island Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. What the National Park Service has allowed to happen at Baker Island is shameful, mm. were his words. So they're in tough shape. And um, there have been a lot of assessments done. I could just list them real quick. The Coast Guard did an assessment in 2007. They had they they transferred ownership of the tower to the park in 2011 and before that they did this assessment and they recognized that the part of this had been their issue in the 80s, they sandblasted the tower. And my mother, who was a very um, shy and solitary person was peeking through the bushes and took pictures that a helicopter landed and they sandblasted it. Like, (laughs) I guess the way they just do upkeep of all towers, but it's a very old tower. And so when they sandblasted it, they removed all the patina and the outer layer. And then they pointed it with a cement, a hard cement based mortar and coated it so that moisture accumulated in the bricks, and also in the lantern deck, and it just Mm -hmm. has deteriorated horribly since then. So at that time, the Coast Guard um, put together a a project for $100,000, but it was never funded. In 2008, the park conducted a condition assessment, which identified short-term work in the next three to five years and immediate emergency work within one year. That was in 2008, and none of None of it was done except for the clearing of trees, which we did. And then they did an archeological reconnaissance in 2008 and a cultural landscape inventory in 2009, another assessment report in 2013. In 2017, the Friends of Acadia raised funds, which were used for another condition report. So they had a visit (laughs) in 2019, which raised alarm bells, and they produced a report in 2020 which also said it's in poor condition and this is an emergency. Mm -hmm. So lots of reports.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's not (laughs) that uncommon. You spend a lot of money uh, getting reports written and uh, there's no money left over to do the actual work.
2: So in 2020, the Friends of Acadia had raised this money and um, that really got, I think that helped get the ball, ball rolling a little bit. And in 2020, Eastern Maine Environmental carried out some lead and asbestos remediation on um, the oil house, the keeper's quarters, and the ghillie house. Okay. So steps, little steps.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the sandblasting a few minutes ago, and I was just going to, you probably know that these days the historical authorities tend to frown on sandblasting because sandblasting tends to be too invasive. Uh, but that was that was then, this is now. There's a lot of And also the kind of paints they use these days are you know, there's more knowledge about that kind of thing. We've gained a lot of knowledge as time has gone on. So maybe it's good that that's it's been put off until it can be done done properly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: To some extent. And and to be fair, there has been some work done recently. I did just touch base with the deputy superintendent of the park, Brandon Byes, and he he said that they we're planning to have uh, masons come out right when COVID hits and uh, through, through everything askew. And so they are now planning to have them out to the park next summer, 2024, to do an assessment and then have the work hopefully completed in 25.
0: Wow. That would be nice.
2: So, so yeah, hopefully. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully. Uh, Was there some work on the oil house done in 2020? Is that right? Yeah.
2: You know, the the park is really stretched thin, like many parks. Sure. They have the best intentions sometimes, but things may not happen right away. So, for example, the oil house roof was removed and the cupola was taken off island in 2019. And then they began to re-roof it, but it fell unfinished. And so, in a year and a half later, we were out there in an October, and we saw that the tarp that was over the roof was leaking, and it was essentially open to the weather. So we were we happened to be there, and were able to do uh, get permission to do some emergency repairs. And then the following summer, we got permission to start over, tore off the old shingles that were half done, and re-roofed it. Really, some of our volunteers had the the background. To do this, and they did a really uh, careful historical job of reshingling it. So, the um, cupola in the meantime was beautifully recreated because it was in such bad shape at the um, park headquarters, and we're hoping to assist with putting that on in 24.
0: You're saying uh, cupola of the oil house? You talk about like yes. the chimney kind of thing on the on the roof? Is it? Yeah, yeah. it
2: really was just like a little cupola vent thing
0: yeah like a vent yeah exactly yeah fairly typical oil house brick oil house right yeah yeah early 1900s yeah in 1905 Uh, yeah around
2: 1903
0: to 1905 the government built those uh, light stations all over the the country basically yeah so let's let's go back and talk a bit about the history of the place okay and it is i believe the oldest light station in the acadia region is that correct yeah 1828 Mm -hmm. So why did they build a lighthouse on Baker Island in the first place?
2: Well, it's positioned, it's in the southwest entrance to Frenchman's Bay. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is a bar that connects it at low tide to Little Cranberry Island, Islesford. It's one of the five Cranberry Isles. So um, Mm -hmm. at low tide, you can... Pretty much, you always get a little bit wet, but you can wade across to the other island. And that bar obviously has um, been a real shipwreck trap over the mm-hmm. years when coastal um, schooners were traveling up and down. So yeah. it was an important spot for one.
0: A lot of, and also passenger vessels, right, going going to and from Bar Harbor. That was probably part of it. Well, not back then. Not in eighteen twenty-eight. That came later. But. Well, not
2: too much. Like the. the visitors the rusticators started coming
0: so you mentioned earlier the Gilly family and you can't talk about the history of baker island without talking about the Gilly family uh it's a, it's an amazing story really they uh who were the Gillies and how did they come to kind of take over baker island
2: <laughs> so uh william Gilly and his wife hannah she was a, a lurvey they were you know in the region and they presumably they they came there and fished seasonally and built a log cabin, but they moved out to the island permanently in about 1806, we think, between 1806 and 12, with a couple of babies. And they just ended up staying year round. He and his brother Francis built a big farmhouse, and they ended up having six sons and six daughters. And they sort of squatted and just owned mm-hmm. the island. And there's it's... It's a fascinating legal battle that ensued later, but but at any rate, they had lived there for you know twenty years when the government decided to build a lighthouse there, and William Gilley, at John Quincy Adams' recommendation, I don't know why, was appointed the first keeper. Mm-hmm. So he was he was a keeper for for uh, twenty years.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, I want to talk more about that. But um, the Gilly family, uh, members of the Gilly family were on the island for what, uh, over 100 years, right?
2: Yeah, till 1929. Mm -hmm. Well, 1930 is when the last one moved off. Um, Yeah, no, fascinating family. So there were the 12 kids and of them over the years, two or three stayed. They built two more houses in that generation. And then those two families, just between the two of them had 17 so sixteen cousins who grew up there, and then the the next generation. There was another house, and the final. So, uh, uh, sort of in their heyday, would have been sort of eighteen thirty to eighteen eighty. Mm-hmm. There were quite a few. There were five households, including the keeper, and there were probably would have been like twenty five residents, mm. um, and they subsisted on the land primarily.
0: Yeah. I was going to say from what I've read, they were pretty self-sufficient obviously farmed on the Island, had a lot of animals and things. Is that right? Yeah.
2: They had sheep. They had like 50 head of sheep. They Mm -hmm. made all their own clothing. They had oxen always for working. They raised some pigs to slaughter and had cows for milk and they would shoot birds for and sell feathers. And they actually were involved in uh, cobblestones that went to Portsmouth and Boston area. And, um, It it was said that actually one year when times were really hard in Southwest Harbor, that the Gillies brought food to the mainland to help out. So they brought potatoes, fish and stuff. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. That's impressive. Wow. Um, so as you said, William Gillie was the first keeper of the lighthouse and he was keeper for about 20 years. Do we know much about the, his, the job he did as keeper, uh, Reports on, on, uh, you know, any inspection reports, that sort of thing?
2: I'm afraid I don't know too much about the details of his time there. I think what gets more attention is when he left and how he left and how it went afterwards. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We can
0: talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I do know a little bit about that. That the it wasn't uh, that um, harmonious with the uh, you know the, no. the he left right he left uh, Baker Island and went he to left Duck he Island. was
2: in eighteen forty nine the the political parties the Whigs came into power and he was told since it was a political appointment he would have to change his affiliation and with no with complete with expletives he exclaimed <laughs> that he would not change his political affiliation for all the lighthouses in the United States.
0: Mm-hmm. And he
2: moved out to Great Duck, which he had purchased, which was farther out. And he lived there for 10 years.
0: Which so later was, had a lighthouse. Great Duck later had a lighthouse, but it didn't mm-hmm. at that time when he, yeah. he owned it. Yeah. yeah, that was
2: a tougher, it was a tougher island for, you know, landing and was it was that much more remote.
0: So his, uh, some of his family, uh, including, was it a couple of sons? remained on the island and kind of gave the next keeper a hard time is that right
2: yeah his two sons um elisha um, and joseph stayed on the island and they were joseph was in the original homestead which when the keeper's house was built then william and hannah moved to that so one of the sons was in that and another house was built for their oldest daughter so they had these two homesteads on either side of main street the road that goes down the middle of the island and um, apparently, they harassed the following keeper mercilessly. There was an early letter in 18, 1849. A letter was written. Isaac Ilsley wrote a letter to Stephen Pleasanton, mm-hmm. who was the fifth auditor, acting commissioner of revenue, just stating that the, there was a terrible situation out there and that the ghillies should be. Ejected from the island because they weren't even allowing the keeper to pasture his cow and they weren't giving him free access down to the harbor. And apparently they were complete scullywags.
0: So how was that resolved if it was? Well,
2: it it wasn't right away because um they to in order to eject them, they had to prove ownership of the island. And then what ended up happening was that it was contested in court and the government admitted that the, it was good. It would be a challenge for them to prove that their deed to the island was Legitimate. Legitimate, yeah. yeah. I mean, this this battle went on until it wasn't really resolved until 1909 because it came back up later. i like to step back and just talk about the research involved in this book. I know that you're, I think you're an archive rat like me. And it was so fascinating to me to try and read between the lines because you have your official accounts in as much as they're available. But then I started to like question some things, you know, like it was said that the, the wealthy visitors to the Island, because it was a big draw for what were called rusticators at that time, they would come out and have picnics and dance on the far side. There was a flat rocks called the dance floor. And so they sort of befriended the Gillies in a funny way I'm sure it was an interesting relationship, but it is said that they hired a high powered l- lawyer to help defend the gillies. And then other things that are said are the poor, these poor local gillies want to build a schoolhouse to educate their young. And I look back at this and a, a bunch of things come up. One of them is that this, in a way, was a test case for land that was sold all up and down the main coast going way back to um a guy named bingham who owned a million acres and deeded it and i feel like this case is potentially was if the if the gillies had lost this case it could have had ramifications to some then very wealthy early americans who had property all through Maine. I don't know that it's not, there isn't a lot more there to the history.
0: Yeah. Well, reading between the lines is always a fun part of uh, doing this kind kind of research for sure. I want to talk more about your book in a minute, but just a little bit more about the history, the human history. Uh, Another keeper that I know about, partly because he was also at uh, Burnt Island Lighthouse in uh, Booth Bay Harbor. And I know they actually have uh, somebody, I think, portraying them here there at times uh, in living history presentations. But Joseph Muse was keeper for a couple of years on Baker Island. We know a lot about his time as a keeper, both at Baker Island and, and Burnt Island. What can you tell me about the Muses on Baker Island?
2: I love talking about the muses because to me, they're uh, just really interesting people. When you look at their life history, where Joseph was abandoned as a child in Southwest Harbor by his sea captain father, and he didn't speak English. And I mean, the stories are um, really interesting. Um, But so he and his wife, Annie, became light keepers, and they were sent to Baker in 1930. They had... Uh, three little children at the time. So in August of 32, his son, Ronald, who was 12 years old, drowned off the bar. And this is, it's poignant to me because I had two sons and a daughter right about that same age. And they used to build rafts off the bar. And that's exactly what they were doing. And Ronald drowned. Um, they were really bereft. They asked for a transfer, but didn't get one yet. His wife, Annie was pregnant and then come november she went into labor and she it was it was a stormy night in november and she went into labor and um the keeper couldn't leave the island so he called to the lifekeeping station the lifesaving station across the bar and those surfmen showed up in their with their rowboat and they came and they took her in a launch and um, the baby didn't wait and so their, their baby daughter, Prudence, was born into the wool peacoats of the surfman who delivered this baby off the coast of Southwest Harbor.
0: Whoa, so That's incredible. And his, yeah, yeah. And
2: I have, I looked, I found his logbook entries and they're so stoic and brief and, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Yeah. Even around the time his child died. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. It was like sun drowned and then went to Southwest Harbor for a funeral, you know, like just the slightest, and then polished brass and painted.
0: <laughs> wow, wow! I always tell people lighthouse keeping wasn't as romantic as you think. It was, yeah, especially at an island lighthouse, the more remote ones. It was, it was tough. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And and mm-hmm. um, so yeah. So then, um, I was able to meet Elaine Jones, who I know you had on your program, who what an inspiration that program that she set up there at at burnt island is uh, to me just such a model i just love it so where they they ended up in burnt island where they were happily keepers for for many years and so yes they have reenactors there so tim harrison again of the lighthouse digest was doing these grave marker programs and um several of the baker keepers are buried at mount height cemetery in southwest harbor so we did i think it was in 2000 uh 16. We had a ceremony there. And um, Elaine Jones came and she brought two of the muse daughters who were now elderly women. So we get to meet them. And that was really, that was really special.
0: It is. Yeah, it's always great to make those connections with the people who actually live this this history, yeah. or descendants yeah. uh, and so forth. Yeah, oh, that's that's wonderful. So moving on, you mentioned your book earlier, and I want to talk a bit more about your book. First of all, what made you decide to write a book about Baker Island?
2: This sounds so trite, but I wanted to read it, and it hadn't been written, so I had to write it. <laughs> it's just that this, this history hadn't been gathered in one place, and know even the photographs and you know my mother before me did a lot of research and um fortunately at that time she was able to interview some people who had actually who had lived on the island Um, and so after she died i kind of gathered up her folder and just continued with it and went to archives in you know all over dc waltham you know the augusta you know i just i went the acadia archives had quite a bit and then i hunted down people Ancestry.com was an amazing resource because Mm -hmm. I was able to look at old town reports and I had long lists of, like, for example, I would find um, someone whose name was listed as being a school teacher for one term and she was paid, you know, $15. And then I would search for someone by her name, you know, I would be roughly her age, where she lived. Usually they remarried, they married after they stopped teaching, And then I would send out emails to all the people who had this person in their family tree. And then I would say, I would explain my project. Is there any chance, you know, your great grandmother, your grandmother was taught on Baker and I was able to find so many people that way. And it was fascinating. Like I introduced members of families to each other, you know, because, Mm -hmm. and I, yeah. And I found, I found the, surviving sister of a young man who was um, stationed on Baker Island during World War II and who died shortly after that. And she sent me letters and pictures. And I mean, it was it was a, a really complicated and fascinating research project. It was really yeah. neat.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, like you, I love uh, visiting these archives and historical societies and so forth. It's a lot of fun, the hands-on research going through for files and boxes of and stuff. But there's so much you can find online now. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And more all the time. Uh, the stuff is being digitized more and more.
2: Well, what I did a lot, you know, more than archives, I would say, is I would find a person. And I would go and I would sit <laughs> with, like, an elderly person and look through her photo albums and talk. And he's yeah. really, really neat.
0: It's like treasure. It's like finding yeah. treasure when you talk to these people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah! I love it when out of the blue somebody e- emails me and said they're say will say they're the grandchild of a keeper or whatever.
2: Yeah, oh, by uh, the way,
0: yeah, yeah. Any little bits of information—it's all all great stuff. So, anything else uh, about when you were working on your book? Any surprising things about the Gilly family that we haven't already talked about, or? you know, stuff that wasn't known before that you uncovered in your research? Either the Gillies or any, any other part of the history there?
2: Well, a lot of it was just, was unknown to me. And it gave me, it gave me a bigger picture sense of what it was like to live there and to be a keeper. Uh, you know, people would say, when people visit the island, they say, ah, oh, those hardy souls who lived on this island, they must've been so remote. And then I realized in my research, it it wasn't really living in inland in Western Maine would have been more remote when travel was by schooner and trade was on the sea, actually being on an Island, you know, was not, not as much of a hardship as you might think. And so I, I guess I would say I got, I got a better and clear, more clear picture, um, of the Gilly family. There were surprises clearly, I'm actually still learning some stuff. I still have leads I need to follow up. I was giving a book talk at the library, and a gentleman quietly came up to me beforehand and said, I lived on Baker as a kid. My father was a keeper. And I just said, What? (laughs) You know, and oh, by like you said, when you get these calls, oh, by the way, I in fact had a really exciting discovery in 21. My mother had interviewed a woman named Leona who was the last baby born on Baker. And she was sort of the last one there. And in the interview, I'm listening to this old distorted cassette tape where I can sort of hardly understand her. I swore she said she had a twin sister who died. Mm. And I was like, huh, because she was she had one older brother who died at birth and he's buried in the cemetery. And then it was her and her twin sister. So I thought, baby must be buried on Baker if she was born there, but there was no sign of it. There was no record. And then I was digging because I was planting flowers. I was plant flowers at the cemetery. And I always, I started at that point, putting a second flower next to where the baby boy was. Cause I thought there must be a baby girl. And as I was digging, I found her stone and that oh, was, wow. yeah, it was so amazing to yeah. discover this soul. So it's an ongoing discovery.
0: Yeah, talking about how the finding the stuff is treasure. That's kind of like finding buried treasure in a sense. There.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was really, really moved when that. Yeah, when that. Yeah.
0: Went. Oh, definitely. So uh, refresh my memory: the lights, the last keepers and families living at the light station were in the mid 1950s. I know the light was actually discontinued for a couple of years. Yeah, so in then 50, it was, mm-hmm.
2: 55, it was discontinued, and then. I, uh, when it was automated, that's a question because the official record I've seen some places is it's 1966. Okay. But the hyphen or the workroom was removed in, I think, 65. So I, I don't know that there were keepers there after 57. That's mm-hmm. the latest that I know there were keepers there.
0: Yeah. I've been a little unsure about that myself. That that history in there as to exactly when it was automated, but you, so you mentioned uh, meeting a, a son of one of the keepers, right? It must be yeah. one of the la- last keepers. Have yeah. you had made contact with other family members as well?
2: Yeah, um, as much as I as I can, and there was crossover too. That was an interesting thing too, because you had the Gilly family, then you had keepers, and then you had school teachers. So sometimes there was intermarriage or there was crossover. So I was able to find uh, people who had a couple of different connections. And yeah, so I was able to find descendants of keepers. And mm-hmm. In fact, some came to the different ceremonies, putting placing the grave markers.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah.
2: And I know one family, uh, they went out, unfortunately, the woman that I met was so wonderful. She was 98 and they said she just wasn't up to the trip, but her, some of her children and grandchildren went out to the island after, after we met and after I told them about it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, that's, that's really great. So let's, let's move up to uh, more recent history. You mentioned earlier uh, trimming the trees there. And I have narrated cruises in that area a number of times, mm-hmm. uh, yep. a lot of them with Bar Harbor Whale Watch. Baker Island is always included in those tours, but it's always kind of a, a challenge to actually even be able to see the top of the lighthouse from the water. So sometimes the the captain will move the boat around until we can spot the top of the lighthouse sticking up mm-hmm. above the trees. But it do, doesn't lend itself to to great photos from the water. It's best yes. photographed to get to actually get on the island. I know the there's air. been time. Ta- or from the air, yeah, but I know there's been times uh that the, it was considered to discontinue the light because of the trees blocking it, but local mariners said they still needed it. So what is the situation with that?
2: There's there's a long history to this.
0: Um yep.
2: When the Coast Guard turned over the lighthouse compound, minus a 20 by 20 fenced area around the light, that was in 58-ish, um, the agreement included provided no construction or natural growth is permitted on the land conveyed, which will obstruct the view of the aid to navigation by the mariner from the sea." The, you know, almost the whole island had been cleared by the gillies, but uh, the spruce, you know, was relentless and it, it, it grew up and it had choked out even most of the deciduous trees and trees not blocking the view or causing damage to the tower as well as other structures we used to have people occasionally come to the island and they'd come back from walking to the dance floor and they'd say, I thought there was a lighthouse on this island because <laughs> it was so obstructed. Yep. So, um, and and when when we were little kids, um, as children, we had this kind of secret pact that every resident was expected to pull a hundred spruce seedlings every day, which became a, a little competition. So we were pulling sometimes a 1,000 seedlings a day, and we still couldn't keep up with it. And it was complicated because it's National Park, so you can't just cut trees, you know, and also to cut trees, they have to dispose of the fuel, which is what they would call it. So, you know, I understand that it was complicated. It involved a lot of different departments, um, but this had been one of our primary goals from the start um, was to improve the aid to navigation effectiveness my husband john uh, spearheaded a campaign to address this and really got the park moving and there was a massive clearing effort between 2012 and 2014 which made a huge huge difference and you haven't been on the island since but you'd see a big a big difference from on the island That was done primarily with fire management crews from both Acadia and even the Cape Cod crew came up and they camped on the island and he brought out his tractor and helped them um, haul the trees um, and they burned. Um, It was supported by all the other park departments as well because it restored historic vistas. So that's the cultural department. It Mm -hmm. dramatically enhanced the visitor experience. And it helped delay the deterioration of the buildings in addition to enhancing the aid to navigation. So that was a that was a pretty huge deal. No clearing had been done for decades. We had people come to the island who were like, I was they they saw it from a nearby summit of a mountain and said I had to come see for myself. Like they hadn't, it made such a huge difference. Huh. Um there, there will be a next cut and that will open a direct view of the lighthouse to the Baker Harbor. To improve visitor experience from tour boats, oh and, cool, and further enhance its value as an aid to navigation. So, yeah, there that bar boats still occasionally run aground on that bar. So,
0: yeah, I believe the daily lighthouse cruises that Bar Harbor Whale Watch offers uh, mm-hmm. go go near there. Is that? Is that they right?
2: do, and we hear them, you know, narrating off the yep. island. But again, that until we do this next cut, um, it's pretty hard to see the to see the lighthouse. Yeah. And there are, there are air tours daily several times Mm -hmm. a day in high season and they do, they, they, so they see it from the air. From
0: the Bar Harbor airport. Right. Yeah. 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 I did that once a long time ago in the nineties. Yeah. I won't. I won't talk about uh, what happened on that that flight. But (laughs) it was. (laughs) Now I want (laughs) to Flying in small planes and taking photographs doesn't agree Uh, with me that well. I just. uh, That's as far as I'll go. But anyway. But other than that, it was it was fun. So back to Acadia National Park. the The island again is part of Acadia National Park. The park uh, owns the light station. Eventually, when uh, things are improved, when the buildings are at least at least partially restored, are there any plans for the use of the buildings by the park?
2: I would say that's really far out of the picture at this point um, mm-hmm. until until the full asbestos and lead is remediated and the buildings, quite honestly, are saved. Yeah, uh, it's, it's not really been a discussion at this. Yeah, it's so badly.
0: Do you have any hopes for a museum or anything like that? I know, again, it's pretty much, yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, we'd like to at least have displays in the windows because the windows are boarded up of the Gilly House. So we'd at least like to have some, we do have some stuff displayed in the oil house. And I like putting out some of the pictures of how the island was earlier um, and including some of that. So, I mean, ultimately that, that would be a vision for us. You know, there are grander visions. Like I said, Elaine Jones- the work that she's done has been such an inspiration. I mean, there's, of course, there's all kinds of things we imagine, but at this point, it's been decades, and we just, at this point, want to save the buildings. It's yeah. it's getting pretty drastic.
0: First things first, definitely. Yeah. So how, what has the working relationship been like of your group with Acadia National Park?
2: I would say it's very complicated. Uh, Several departments are involved. So there's interpretation, which is the education and the rangers who give the tours. There's fire management. There's the cultural resources. And then there's the flora and fauna people. So invasive species uh, management. And there was some concern at one point about cutting because of bats. Um, to make sure there were no bats before they'd cut any trees, you know, so it's just extremely complicated. And, you know, they're a federal agency and I'm sure other lighthouse groups experience the same thing. The wheels just move so slowly, you know, and personnel changes can create learning curves. Um, Right now I feel like they're really, there's some good baker friendly um, folks in the park and I feel hopeful, but like an example, replacing the signage, some of the signs, they're completely worn out and hard to read, and ina- there's even inaccuracies in them. So we've had, we that was verbally approved over a decade ago. But then it has to go through all these official channels, it has to be approved by every, then it has to be sent to their sign shop. And ultimately, we finally just replaced unofficially, I painted signs, and we just placed them, which... They, they, we haven't gotten in trouble, but we have really tried to follow official channels, you know, really yeah. tried to do it right, but it's it's hard. And right. in the last few years, the COVID and budget and personnel issues have made it really difficult for Baker to get the attention that it really needs. So um, we stand by to fill gaps as necessary when it's approved, you know, and they were hesitant to let us do any kind of work on buildings, which I understand, um, but I think they're recognizing that they need, you know, they, appre- they appreciate our help. We always get thank yous, but I think they must just be so stretched, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I completely understand from...
2: We're also, Acadia is huge, you know. Yes, There's so yes. much there. And we're kind of out of sight, out of mind being off the coast.
0: Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Acadia, it's it's among the most visited national parks in the country, right?
2: So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Re- uh, visitorship is always up. And in fact, they had to... they. They desperately had to focus on transportation issues. You now need um, a reservation to drive up Cadillac, you know, and with L.L. Bean, they have these Island Explorer buses and, you know, so they have these like really pressing needs um, environmentally.
0: I didn't know that. I've been to the top of Cadillac Mountain many times over the years. Yeah. I didn't know you needed reservation now to do that. So that's do
2: now, just because the traffic was yeah. it was such an issue. They're just bumper to bumper. And you know, yep. it comes everything comes onto the island on this narrow causeway and there's one park loot. You know, it's sort yep. of getting loved to death, you know.
0: Yes, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. And the last time I went to the top of Cadillac Mountain with a bus tour, it
1: mm-hmm. was
0: so crowded up there. A beautiful yeah. day with a very clear view and an incredible view, of course. That's why everybody goes up there. But um I know what you mean. People love these places to death, sadly. Yeah. I've seen seen yeah. it happen. But still I don't want to discourage people from going to Acadia. No, National Park. no,
2: it's an amazing place. It's yeah. Too, yeah, it's absolutely beautiful.
0: I always recommend spring or fall. Um yeah. even late fall, like late October, I think would be a good time to go when it's a little little less crowded. And it's
2: great, it's great for kids too. You know, I grew up hiking in Acadia and a pretty short easy hike rewards you with magnificent views you know mm-hmm. so it is a nice place for kids to be introduced
0: oh yeah yeah great trails and everything so uh we touched on the tours earlier tours of baker island how do how do those work who runs those
2: um those are the bar harbor whale watch company as you know out of bar harbor and there's a ranger on the tours typically they've been like 3 days a week depending on on demand There's also, it's a day use area for the park and on a really busy summer day, we'll have over a hundred visitors in their private boats. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a, and it's just a beloved place for so many people. I mean, the number of times we've had people coming up to spread someone's ashes or having their wedding reception or, you know, and then we've had people say my family has come here every year for 70 years or, you know, it's a very, for a tiny little, piece of ground out in the ocean it is so beloved by so many people so yeah it's a it's a very um common picnic destination for people in the area so there's lots of visitors other than the tour
0: yeah okay but i do i recommend the tour very highly yes i've done a couple of times and my my wife who is not into lighthouses as much as i am but Mm -hmm. she remembers that that tour like it was yesterday we you know we just talked about it and uh she had a great time that again that was more than 20 years ago
2: well again there's more than the lighthouse and in fact you can't even mm -hmm. go in the lighthouse but right it's you know for for its uniqueness it's also um really emblematic of of that whole um main farmer fisherman subsistence lifestyle which is yeah. true all up and down the coast but because this island has been preserved it's a bit of a time capsule and i think that's one of the things that's so special to people
0: yeah yeah well, i'm glad you mentioned that because i, I want to emphasize that the tour includes the light station you don't get it in any in any buildings but you get to see it but it's the whole island and the history of the island the gillies and, and everything else and so it's uh, a lot more than uh, just experiencing the the lighthouse so what about wildlife? Is there interesting wildlife on or around the island? And I, uh, I I would like you, if you could, to touch on a particular story about a whale that I, I saw online that you were involved with, a stranded whale.
2: Oh, there was one. Yeah. Yeah. One time we saw a, yeah, a stranded whale And the College of the Atlantic is right nearby. So they have allied whale, which is their organization that, that tends to see life. And so we put yeah. in a call and I guess she managed to get herself off the rock before they got there. But um, yeah, and every so often there will be a you know beached whale. But um, the island itself, it's interesting. It, um, there's only three mammals that actually live on the island other than humans. And that doesn't really include bats, which I haven't seen a bat there for quite a while. But it's deer, voles, and mink. And that's it. Okay. Like, There's no mice. There's no. So that's really interesting. And lots of bird life. There are bald eagles nesting on the island. Some years we've had um, very vocal owls, although I haven't heard a great horned owl for a while. Um, but we always have uh, harriers and marsh hawks and um, ospreys will fish off the bar and the bald eagles are always there.
0: Yeah. Uh, pretty good concentrational wildlife for a a fairly yeah. small island. Yeah. Yeah. So uh you, uh your organization again is Keepers of Baker Island. Uh mm-hmm. I know there's a website which which is
2: keep keepersofbaker.org
0: keepers of That's pretty easy. Uh, do you have a Facebook page as well?
2: We do. I should keep up with it a little better, but yes, we have a Facebook page.
0: <laughs> okay. So if people, uh, want to find out more, obviously the website is a good place to look and probably the Facebook page, but are you looking at your, you said it's a small group. You only have a, a mm-hmm. small number of volunteers. If people live in that area or maybe somewhere around there, or spend some of the summer around there, if they're interested in volunteering, would you, uh, like to hear from them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we can give general instructions. Uh, no artifacts should be touched or removed. That's been a problem in the past. But mm-hmm. tra- obvious trash, yes. Serviceable fishing gear, you're not allowed to remove that, but we take care of it. There, we, We've we also had some um, engagement by some of the groups. The Seal Harbor Yacht Club and the Northeast Harbor Sailing Fleet have for a century been Racing around the island and visiting it, and so then now they've started having some more um, organized volunteer group efforts to come mm-hmm. out help. So that's yes, we always can use help.
0: Sure. Yeah, you never know who might be listening. There might be somebody who's uh, in that area who would have. True. An and we
2: usually have a we usually have a wish list on our website too. So you know, sometimes people have a mooring that they're not using, something like that. You know, mm-hmm. there's sometimes there are specific things that we can use.
0: Yeah. Can people donate through the website as well?
2: Yep, absolutely. Yep. Always, always welcome donations. And I'm sure, hoping to, you know, the the lighthouse project is going to be a million dollar project, and that that will be a big that will be a big one. And the, you know, I like the idea of the um, the centennial of not that specific lighthouse, but 1828 is when the first lighthouse came. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea of making that a target to really finish up some work.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, what? Well, that'd be great to tie it into that. You've got, uh, what, four four years to make that yeah. happen. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. 200th anniversary would be very exciting. So I have one final question for you for bonus points. Okay. Mm. That question is this doesn't have to just pertain to the lighthouse, but what is your favorite thing about Baker Island?
2: It's a really, really hard question. So it's just my favorite place. But I think, I think there's sort of a, um, a duality to baker island in that it's a place where i enjoy the most solitude after dark no one's there but residents so that's really special and a lot of people come there and have for 100 years for the solitude to escape the busy social life of bar harbor and um and yet it brings people together in a really interesting way you know and and always has from the poor ghillie settlers to the, the government light keepers, you know, to the wealthy rusticators visiting. So it, it has a, a funny effect that way of uniting people. And you really just leave the world behind when you get on the Island.
0: I think people feel that way about a lot of different islands, but I think Baker's really special. There's something about people talk about Island time and just, uh, you know, it can be an island, even the Boston Harbor Islands being very close to a big city. You feel like you're in another world when you're on the And the island.
2: history, the history on Baker, you know, if you've ever been in like a really old house and you're trailing your hand down the, the worn banister and just thinking about everyone who's done that before you. Baker, especially with the buildings there, it really just oozes history to me, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Definitely. I can see that. So Cornelius Cesari, uh, President of Keepers of Baker Island, it is really, really nice talking with you today. We've been communicating by email for a while, but really wonderful to have a chance to talk with you. And I hope to get back to Baker Island. I'm not sure when that's going to happen. Maybe I can... Well, will the tour still be going on in mid-September? Probably not, because I'll be up there. Uh, yes, they
2: usually, yeah, they end late September. But okay. if not, you get in touch because. Okay, <laughs> love to I'll remember that. There.
0: I'll be up there to narrate one of those lighthouse cruises for Bar Harbor Whale Watch, I believe right. it's September 14th. So maybe around there I could swing up. Maybe a, a
2: little, little private tour of the schoolhouse at least.
0: I would absolutely love that. <laughs> so again, Cornelia, uh, thank you so much. Happy New Year. We're talking just a few days into January here. And uh, hope to be talking to you again soon. Thank you, Cornelia.
2: Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for all the work you do. I've learned so much about lighthouses from your podcast.
1: To learn more about Keepers of Baker Island, visit keepersofbakerisland.org. And to learn more about the public tours to Baker Island, visit barharborwales.com and look under cruises and you'll see the Baker Island cruise listed.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of things to do in Acadia National Park. You can drive to Bass Harbor Headlight, very famous lighthouse, which is now part of the park bar harbor whale watch which you just mentioned does the tours to baker island they also have daily cruises in the summer that go near the lighthouses the local lighthouses also this coming september 14th i'll be helping to narrate an all-day mid-coast main lighthouse cruise with bar harbor whale watch look under cruises at barharborwhales.com, and you'll see the listing for the mid-coast 16 lighthouse cruise i'm really looking forward to it they do uh, some of the best lighthouse cruises in the northeast The cruise in September will include Matinicus Rock and Mount Desert Rock, uh, which are two places that are way offshore and really difficult to get close to normally.
1: Since we're talking about lighthouse cruises, I want to let people know that Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses now has three cruises posted for their coming season. There will be sunset cruises to see three lighthouses on June 21st and June 28th, and a daytime five lighthouse cruise on September 21st. They all go out of Rye, New Hampshire with Granite State Whale Watch. Check out PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org to learn more.
0: I will be on those cruises and I'm pretty sure you'll be on at least one of them. Is that right, Michelle? Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Looking forward to them. So maybe we'll see some of our listeners on board.
1: Check out USLHS.org to learn more about tours, the Passport Program, and everything the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers. Don't forget that memberships and donations help support this podcast also if you listen with apple podcasts please rate and review us
0: so do you have a quote about winter michelle
1: i do jeremy george rr R. martin author of game of thrones once said quote my old grandmother always used to say summer friends will melt away like summer snows but winter friends are friends forever end quote
0: Next week, we'll take a look at the Old Point Loma Lighthouse in San Diego, California. Until then, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thank you so much for listening and
1: keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light
2: of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.